Our gracious Father, we come to you this morning and thank you that we can gather virtually, that you have given us the, the opportunity to do that and the technology to be able to do that. Well, we pray for all those who are in their homes today and gathering and, and, and as families and, um, and maybe by themselves watching. Lord, that they would sense the the community, even though we're meeting virtually, that uh, we are together in this and we're looking at the Word together and we're fellowshipping with the Word of God uh, together in these moments. Uh, Lord, we know this is no, um, not the same thing as gathering together, but it is a, a, a substitute for, for uh, keeping us safe. And so we, we pray that You will direct us uh, through Your Word this morning. I pray for Your... Uh, extra grace for me this morning as it's, it's difficult to, uh, to, to preach uh, in a setting like this. And so, God, help me, help us as we open Your Word together, um, trust in Your Spirit to take that Word and apply it to each one of us where we are. And we give You thanks for that today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, J.J. Uh, Watt is a defensive end in the National Football League. He's been playing for many years, and he's been playing at a very high level. I think he's gotten at least two Defensive Player of the Year awards. So he's used to giving out autographs. Well, a couple of years ago, uh, there was a, a turn of events for him, and that is he received uh, an, an autographed jersey in the mail from a seven-year-old boy. And that seven-year-old boy wrote a letter with that. And the letter said this, I'm sending you my autographed game jersey so you will know me when I'm a famous NFL player. <laughs> you talk about somebody who's living now with their future in mind, right? And actually, Watt was impressed with this, loved it so much, he tweeted a photo of the letter and the jersey with the response, this kid has some guts, and I love it. Well, the question is, how about you? Are you living with your future in mind? And I'm not talking about the future in this life, but with an eternity in view. Are you living today with the understanding that your life today impacts eternity? And thinking in terms of what eternity is and how it impacts you and how you live today. Back in September, we began a series through the book of Philippians. And I entitled that series, Living with Eternity in View. And we've, we've gone through the first two chapters of Philippians, and, and uh, today we're going to begin in chapter 3 with verse 1. But I want to give a little recap of where we've been and what we've looked, talked about in the first two chapters. The beginning, uh, we talked about praying with eternity in view. And said that we need to develop a thankful heart. Right? We need to be thankful for the things that God is doing in our midst and to, and to see them from an eternal perspective. When we do, we have a, a more thankful heart. He talked about developing a confident perspective in prayer. Again, confident because we know who's in charge. We know what God that God is doing something bigger than our present situation. And developing a growth mentality in prayer. Realizing that, that prayer is, is about submitting to God and, and what God wants to do to grow us up and grow other people up. We talked about difficult circumstances with eternity in view. 
how God wants to use your circumstances to advance the cause of Christ. He wants to use your circumstances to encourage the body of Christ. And He wants to use your circumstances to exalt the name of Christ. And so as we go through difficult things, we keep an eternal perspective and realize God is doing something bigger than what I'm experiencing or what I'm feeling or what I'm going through right now. And these are the things He's he's, uh, working at, at accomplishing. We talked about God's positioning system, God's GPS. How detours in life give us the opportunity to reevaluate our perspective on life. And how detours in life give us the opportunity to reestablish our direction in life. We can get off course in our thinking, in our direction. And so God will allow us to go on a detour that will help us to reevaluate and reestablish ourselves. We talked about being kingdom citizens in this world. Having a, a, an understanding that I'm not just a citizen of this place. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. And, and we talked about the need to stand firm in the faith. The need to strive together for the faith. And the need to accept God's plan by faith. And then we came to chapter 2 and talked about living in harmony And we talked about the reasons for harmony, the characteristics of harmony, and the key to harmony. And of course, the key to harmony is a humility of mind that is willing to see others' needs as more important than our own. And to act in light of that. Put others ahead of ourselves. We talked about the ultimate example of Christ. And how He was uh, the ultimate humility of Jesus who became obedient even to the point of death on the cross. For us. So that through His death on the cross, He might provide forgiveness, taking our sins and paying the punishment for them so that through faith in Him, we receive life. His ultimate humility. And then the ultimate exaltation of Christ when God gave Him, or highly exalted Him and gave Him the name above every name which, which at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We talked about being joint participants with God and how God is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And He wants us to participate with Him to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Not to work for our salvation, but to work it out. He gives it to us as a gift, but we are participating with Him and working it out in our daily lives. We, we saw how we're supposed to work on our attitude, not grumbling or disputing. And then we are to work at our witness. He talks about how we are light in this universe. We shine brightly. And the darker things are, the brighter our light shines. We are called to work on our witness, to, to shine that light for Christ, to participate with God as He is at work in us to accomplish these things. We talked about a perspective in ministry. How Paul says that even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you. A perspective of ministering to others and a perspective of being ministered to by us. That is, it's this perspective that my life is to be poured out for other people. Even if, if I'm secondary and they're primary, I rejoice because God is at work. That's having the eternal perspective on ministry. That I'm not the one that's important. What I do to help other people become all that God wants them to be is what's important. And we can rejoice in that. 
And then it's harder sometimes for many of us to be ministered to, to let somebody else sacrifice and do things that benefit us. But we can rejoice, again, because we have an eternal perspective that God is working through that person and what they're choosing to do to sacrifice and benefit my life. And so rather than resisting it, we accept it and allow that to benefit us so that we can serve and live for Christ most effectively. And then lastly, we looked at Christ-like qualities at the end of chapter 2 that are worth imitating. As he talked about Timothy and Epaphroditus, his fellow workers. And we, we, we saw four different characteristics uh, or qualities that are like Christ in these two men. We saw a genuine concern for others. A genuine concern for others. He said about Timothy, I have no one else who is genuinely concerned for your welfare. And so, there is a genuine concern for others. This is what is like Christ. Secondly, a willingness to serve with others. To partner together with others. And to, and to work alongside one another. Submitting to each other and, and working to accomplish a, 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 a goal together. And then thirdly, a servant's heart toward others. Again, like that perspective in ministry, looking at with a servant's heart, putting others ahead of yourself. And then lastly, a willingness to sacrifice for Christ. Whatever it takes, whatever He calls me to, I'm willing to go there. I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to put aside myself so that I can serve Christ. Well, that's where we've been in Philippians 1 and 2. We come to now to chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. Uh, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 so we can get the bigger context. But we're going to focus our attention this morning on verses 1 through 3. And so Paul says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me and is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcise the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to law a Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul is, is contrasting in this whole section the difference between uh, a righteousness that is, that is our own, derived from the law, and a righteousness that is Christ, that is given to us and we receive by faith. He begins this section with some warning and with a, a description, if you will, or a definition of what it looks like to be a person who, not, who doesn't not 
uh, does not have confidence in the flesh, but puts their confidence in the Lord. And so this morning we're going to look at this, what it means to have confidence in the Lord, and how we can cultivate this kind of confidence in, in the Lord Jesus rather than our, in ourselves. The word confidence in this context means coming to a settled persuasion regarding something. It means to, to believe, to trust in, to come to a settled conclusion that this is the one, this is the, the right thing. And, and in this case, it's I am settling on the reality of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, and I put my confidence, my trust in that reality rather than in my own ability to somehow prove myself or somehow earn favor with God. So how do we cultivate this in our lives? First of all, we need to exercise discernment. It says there in verse 2, I'll come back to verse 1 in a moment, but verse 2, he gives us a, a very strong warning. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. The word beware is, a, is an imperative, a present tense imperative, which means a, a command. And it's in the present tense, which means it's something we need to be continually doing. We need to continue to exercise discernment. We need to beware of these people. And who are these people? Well, the word dog there is not talking about a little puppy dog. Right? Cute little puppy dog that we, we all love to, to, to have. No, it's talking about wild dogs. That are roaming around like wolves. And what do wild dogs do? Well, they're looking for food to consume. And in this case, Paul is talking about the, the Judaizers. Those who came into the church, they were Jews who had in some way embraced Jesus, but they embraced Jesus based on their Judaism. And so they still were putting uh, parameters upon uh Christians, they were saying, well, yes, you need to accept Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. You need to keep the law. You need to do this. You need to do that. So they were adding to the gospel of grace. And so Paul calls them dogs. And, uh, and, that, and that day, this was a, a very insulting term. It would be akin to some of the, some of the uh, derogatory things we might say of people today. Um, and most of the time... Christians trying to avoid those kind of statements because they're, they're just not they're not kind. Uh, Paul is not being kind at all here. He's being brutally honest. He's saying, he's saying, beware of these dogs. This was a term the Jews often referred to the Gentiles with disdain. He's now using it of other Jews who were distorting the gospel of Christ. See, they they were looking out for themselves, and this is what we need to be aware of: is those who look out for themselves. Those out there who are, who are claiming to proclaim God's truth, but they're only out for themselves. They're using their platform. They're using their influence and, and using the Word of God and, and, and God Himself as a platform to look out for themselves, to gain for themselves. And there are people out there like that. And I think we need to be careful of those who are, we suspect, are doing that. And we can't always know a person's heart and motivation. But we need to be aware that there are some out there like this who are only looking out for themselves. 
Again, as we saw in chapters 1 and 2, this is not the posture of ministry. The posture of ministry is a servant who pours himself out for other people. When we see people who are using the people uh, who are trusting them to bring God's Word out, looking out for themselves, we need to be aware of that. Secondly, he says, beware of evil workers. These weren't people who were just mistaken, who were just wrong at times. They were people who were teaching against the gospel of grace. Everybody makes mistakes at times in, in maybe what they say. They may be mistaken in, in a way that they interpret something and may even teach that, but they're doing it uh, genuinely. Everybody can be prone to making mistakes. We're talking about people who, who are intentionally teaching something that's contrary to the gospel of grace. And so we need to beware of those who promote false teaching. Beware of those who promote false teaching. That's what he means when he calls them evil workers. They're working for the other side. And so again, we need to evaluate what we hear from people and make sure that what they're teaching lines up with the Word of God. And when a person is preaching, and you never have to open your Bible to follow what they're saying, you have to wonder, why are they hiding? Why are they not using the Word of God? Why are they keeping you out of the Word of God when they are teaching the Word of God, or supposed to be teaching the Word of God? Could it be that for some, they may be trying to hide that they are teaching something that's not according to the Word of God? And so we've got to be careful. I have, uh, at times over the years, uh, come across TV programs where someone's preaching and, and uh, I've never heard of them. I, sometimes I'll listen to see, who is this guy? And then they start talking about this vision that they had, this dream that they had, and they spend the entire time relating their, their dream. And eventually it comes out that, they're, that God is telling them that they need more money and, and you need to give more and all these kinds of things. Believe me. <laughs> If they're not teaching the Word of God, then we shouldn't be listening. Because it's, at best, they're just giving their opinion. At worst, they're promoting false teaching. We need to be very careful of this. Paul he uses the strongest language. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. And beware of the false circumcision. The false circumcision literally is physical mutilation. This wasn't just the circumcision of the Jews. He's referring to, in the pagan world, how they would actually um, cut themselves all over their body, thinking that they were somehow invoking the favor of their God. Or that they could somehow gain control over their gods and make their gods do what they wanted. And we see an example of this in 1 Kings, where uh, when Elijah was on Mount Carmel, and the, the priests of Baal were there, and he says to them, you know, go ahead, call out your God. And they were crying out and doing everything they could Part of what they did there was they cut themselves because they believed that by cutting themselves they were demonstrating to their gods their uh, their earnest desire and uh, that somehow they would invoke the favor of their gods and so this was um, a typical thing in pagan religious ceremonies and Paul is likening that to what these Judaizers were doing by emphasizing circumcision again God instituted circumcision in the Old Testament. The purpose of it was a sign of the covenant he made with Abraham. It was never to be the emphasis that if 
you're not circumcised, you somehow can't be uh, part of God's family. Because even in the prophets talked about the connection between physical circumcision and circumcision of the heart. And how it was a commitment uh, to God. And, and they were making it all about the physical, the external. And Paul says this is no different than the pagan rituals of cutting themselves, thinking you're going to commend yourself to God. It's not circumcision that commends a person to God. It's faith in Christ that was for the Jews demonstrated by this as a sign of the covenant relationship with God. Alec Motnier, in his commentary on Philippians, writes this about, just generally speaking, about what Paul is saying in these three statements. He said, The opponents whom he attacked were distracting from the sole sufficiency of what Christ had done. And in this way, were threatening the doctrine and the way of salvation. Those who add to Christ are still with us. Those who say nice things about Christ, but in fact make membership of their sect the real essential for salvation. Ministers who, whatever their own personal trust in Jesus, yet by their ministry cause people to trust in rites and ceremonies and sacraments. And others even who add to the work of Christ some additional experience of the Holy Spirit as essential for full salvation. He goes on to say, similarly, those who corrupt the way of salvation are still with us, especially the pathetic multitude whose only confidence is in their own earned merit. And in the same way, those who distract from the sole glory of Jesus are still with us. Within the Christian camp, there are, in particular, those who challenge the reality of the Incarnation and the Resurrection, and those who, find, who would find salvation for each according to His light in all the great world religion. So there is false teaching. There are people out there looking out for themselves. And there are people who want to emphasize the wrong stuff, whether it's physical things or whatever. And so we need to be very careful and exercise discernment, especially in the world in which we live where we have technology at our fingertips. We could be listening to or watching somebody 24-7 who are claiming to teach God's Word. We need to be discerning in who we listen to and take everything we hear back to the Word of God. Especially if you hear something that doesn't seem right. And you're, there's something in your spirit that says, that doesn't sound like the Word of God. Go back and make sure. And again, everybody can make a mistake. But we're talking about a pattern of somebody who is speaking and teaching things that are contrary to the Word of God. We need to be people of discernment. That's one of the ways we can cultivate a greater trust and confidence in the Lord is by discerning what we hear. Secondly then, he says, moves from verse on to verse 3 and he says, that's, that's them, beware of them, for we, Paul referring to himself and those who, who are following Christ, are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And so we see that we need to worship in the Spirit. That's a characteristic of those who are the true circumcision, those who are, who are in Christ and who have, again, the circumcision of the heart that Paul talks about. We need to worship in the Spirit. It's interesting, the word that he uses here for worship is used 21 times in the New Testament. 18 of those times is translated servant. 
often we think about worship, we think about typically what we do on Sunday morning when we sing. Worship is much more than that. Our service is worship. When we serve the Lord, when we do things that benefit um, the body of Christ, that benefit unbelievers, bringing them to Christ, when we serve the Lord, we are worshiping. In fact, that word worship, originally, the English word comes from a word which means worship. And when we, when we serve the Lord, we are demonstrating the worth of God to us. We're demonstrating a value God has to us by serving Him, by, by spending our time, our talents, and our resources for kingdom work. When we do that, we are demonstrating the worship of God. And so it's worship is much more than what we do on Sunday morning. And might I say that when we do the opposite, when we never spend our time, talents, or any of our treasures to benefit the kingdom of God, we are also making a class statement, whether we would think we are or not. We are saying that there is no value. If I'm not willing to spend any time in service or any of my talents to serve the Lord or any of my money that God has entrusted to me to, to advance the cause of Christ, I'm making a statement that God does not have much value. And so this is something we need to consider. Again, what does it look like to have an eternal perspective, to live life with eternity in view, to realize that what I do with my life impacts eternity? And if I'm spending all of my resources that I have available to me for myself, I'm not demonstrating that I have any that God has any value in my life. And so we've got to really think seriously about this. Here we are at the beginning of a new year, an opportunity uh, to make some changes in our life. And believe me when I say, I'm not saying this so that people will give more money to, to this church. I'm saying this because I care about every person that is in the hearing of my voice today. That what we do with our resources has an impact on eternity. And if we're going to live with eternity in view, we need to consider what we do with our time. What we do with our talents. What we do with our treasures, And how we use some of these things to give them back to the Lord for His the building of His kingdom. This is part of our the worship in the Spirit. Our service is worship. Secondly, our worship is in Spirit and truth. Go back to Jesus' statement in John chapter 4, verse 24, where He says to the woman at the well, she was asking about uh, uh, how the, 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 uh, the Samaritans worship in this place and you Jews worship in this mountain and, and this and that. And Jesus said, you worship that which you do not know we, referring to the Jews, worship that which we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And so, we are to worship in spirit and truth. Paul refers to the worship in spirit, meaning. Jesus says in spirit and truth. What does He mean by that? I believe He means this. That in spirit means under the control of the Holy Spirit. Our service, again, is worship. And so we want to serve in, under the control of the Holy Spirit. Right? Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not be drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That means to be under the control of the Spirit of God. 
And so each day as we get up, we yield ourselves anew to the Lord, invite Him to take control of our lives. We walk in obedience to the Word of God. And as He is at work in us, we're able to serve Him in the things that we do. So we are worshiping Him in spirit and in truth means in accord with the truth. In John 17, 17, Jesus in His high priestly prayer says, Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. And so it needs to be in accord with the word of God. And so what we do when we come together on Sunday mornings to worship needs to be in spirit and in truth. It is... Uh, it is the responsibility of those of us who prepare the services uh, to make sure that the, the basis of the service is found in the Word of God. This is why we use psalms each week as the basis of our, of our theme of worship. We derive it from that psalm. We choose psalms that reflect that, not only that theme, but what's in that text. That reflect the truth that's found there. So the songs that we sing are songs that are according to the truth. So that when we are worshiping the Lord, we're worshiping in truth. We cannot make you yield to the Spirit when you come to get to here. But that's the goal, is that you come trusting in the Lord and, and yielding to the Spirit of God. When you come here, you are able to worship in spirit and in truth. And so we need to worship uh, in spirit, as Paul says here. Secondly, or thirdly, we need to Rejoice in the Lord. That word glory in Christ Jesus actually means to exalt, to rejoice, or to boast. Earlier in chapter, in verse 1, he says, and this is a command, right? Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. That's a command. Rejoice in the Lord. What does that mean? It means to find our joy in Jesus. We need to find our joy in Jesus. Again, I appeal, I appeal to Alec Motyer in his commentary as he explains this. He says, The command, referring back again to verse 1, may be understood better in the light of a similar phrase in chapter 1, verse 18. There Paul wrote concerning the preaching of the Gospel. And he says, In this I rejoice. In the preaching of the Gospel. He meant, This is what brings joy to me. The preaching of the Gospel. This and not that he should be well thought of by all, not that he should be released from prison, and so forth, but it's that he rejoiced in the fact that the Gospel has been preached. He says, it is in this that I find my joy. The preaching of the Gospel. Similarly, he says, the command rejoice in the Lord means let the Lord be the one who makes you happy. Or, Find your joy in Him and in Him alone. The command is relevant, as we shall see, to the controversy in which the Apostle plunges as he takes issue with those who would add to Christ other factors and conditions necessary for the Gospel. So as he's saying, beware, he's saying, start out by letting your joy be found in Jesus. Not in circumstances. Not in your ability to do things for God. Not in your service, but ultimately in Him. See, if we find our joy in Him, then we will find joy in serving Him. If we do not find our joy in Him, then we will find serving Him to be 
uh, if we do it at all, will be will be felt, feel like an obligation. It will feel like drudgery, and 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 we will get discouraged at times. It's hard enough when we find our joy in the Lord not to get discouraged, but we will be discouraged, and we will at times give up because it's hard. It's hard to keep giving yourself away, especially when you don't feel any response to that, or when people actually respond negatively to our attempt to to do what is what is uh, what God has called us to do. We get discouraged. But when we start with finding our joy in Jesus, then we're not dependent upon people's response. We're not dependent upon the results that we can see from what we do. We're finding our joy in Jesus. And we know what we're doing is faithfully serving Him. And He takes care of the results. He takes care of how this is going to happen and what it's going to bring about. And so we rejoice in the Lord. We find our, our joy in Jesus, our relationship with Him. Again, which is why it's so critical that we spend time with the Lord every day. We start our day in prayer and in the Word of God. It sets, our, it sets our perspective right. It helps to remind us of what we're doing today and, where our, again, where our joy is found. And then secondly, we should express our joy in singing or in in service or whatever whatever it is that we then do, we should express our joy in an outward way. Glory in Christ Jesus, he said. Again, that word glory means to, to exalt, to rejoice, or to boast. To boast about Jesus Christ. Uh, John MacArthur said this, it describes boasting with exultant joy about what a person is most proud of. So we could boast about something we're really proud about. Maybe our maybe our, our our child accomplished some great accomplishment. Maybe they got straight A's in school. Maybe they they won a, a music competition, or or their team won the, the championship, and we're proud of them. And so we we tell other people about that. Look at what my daughter did. Look at what my son did. We boast in an exultant joy of what we're proud of. He says, boast in the Lord. Let it be known. And so when we come together to sing, we ought to sing with this kind of boasting about, as we're singing about Jesus and what He's done for us. When we sing, in Christ alone, my hope is found, it should be, it should come from something within that says, this is the truth and this is what I'm so excited about. And I'm, I'm found in Christ and in Him alone. Not in my, my weakness and my inability to commend myself to God, but in Christ, in Christ alone. My hope is found. And so as we do that, we're boasting about the Lord. And as we go out, and we're living life before others, we want to talk about the things that are important to us, things we're proud of, and things... And again, it's not a wrong pride. It's not a wrong boasting. That certainly could be used negatively. But it's a positive. It's boasting in Christ. Glorying in Christ Jesus. Because we have great confidence in Him. We're not putting our confidence in our flesh. We're putting our confidence in the Lord. And so we can cultivate this kind of confidence, this kind of trust in the Lord. By exercising discernment, 
in the things that we listen to, the things that we watch, the people that are teaching us. Always evaluate through the Word of God. We can uh, cultivate this by worshiping in the Spirit, uh, serving the Lord in the direction of the Spirit, singing and worshiping Him, um, and doing all that we do in the Spirit and in truth. And thirdly, we can rejoice in the Lord. Find our joy in Him day by day and boast in Him in the way we live our lives. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank You for the opportunity again to open Your Word. Thank You for the privilege that it is to teach the Word of God. And I ask that You would help me to always speak the truth. And that when I make a mistake, Lord, that that would be quickly forgotten and only the things that are accurate to Your Word will be remembered. I pray for each of us, Lord, as we we have to discern what we listen to. What we read on the internet. Give us the ability to do that. Teach us the Word so we can evaluate everything to the truth. God, build us up. Cause us to worship You. Spirit and truth. Cause us to rejoice, to boast in Christ. When others see us, when others think about our relationship with us, one of the things they think about is he, she, talks about Jesus. They don't push it down my throat, but boy, you can tell it's real for us. God, oh, that that would be said of us. That they would know where our confidence is. I thank you for the opportunity this morning to, to share your word, to do that virtually. I pray for everyone that is uh, that needs to be out on these roads this morning. And, and I pray for their safety. I pray for those who are not feeling well. I pray that you would give them strength and you would help them to, to get better quickly. Strengthen them. And we'll thank you goodness to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.